the Colby Daniels Podcast and today's conversation with Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, what is going on today? Not much, not much. Uh, just hanging out, man. Just uh, hanging out. I got nothing going on. Just hanging <laughs> out. Trying to trying to get some work stuff uh, situated. But other than that, I'm just hanging out. What's happening in the world that has piqued your interest? I'm curious. Outs- uh, outside of sports, like, is there anything happening in the world that you're just like paying attention to of note? I mean, no, not really. I mean, if, okay. if I, if it's not sports related, then I'm probably not that tuned into it at this point in my, you know what? Something has piqued my interest. I am glad I don't live in Texas right now. What's happening in Texas. I, the reason I ask that is because the last few days I I've been completely disconnected from pretty much everything. So I don't even, I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, obviously I, I check, uh, you know, my, my scoreboard apps to see like what's happening in the NBA playoffs. I haven't watched an NBA playoff game in a couple days. Um, I, I, I've kept up with the sports headlines, but like, other than that, I don't know if, if there's anything like crazy happening right now, I'm unaware of it. Okay. So, uh, you remember back in, back in February when Texas, like Austin and Dallas and they had like that the massive ice storm. We had it too, but they, they right. also had a really bad winter storm. Right. And like their electrical grid was just completely effed. Yeah. My and parents, like so- my parents were scooping snow out of their yard and melting it for water during that. Fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So complete disaster. And there, and like everybody, I, I don't remember who the, uh, the board is that runs the, uh, ERCOT at ERCOT, I think E-R-C-O-T, I think is, uh, the electrical grid people in Texas. They were like, oh, this grid wasn't built to handle this kind of this kind of cold, like got to conserve energy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> a couple days ago, they were like, we can't handle this kind of heat. Oh, no. When you're if you're at home, your thermostat needs to be at 78. And when oh. you're away, your thermostat needs to be at 85. And when you're sleeping, your thermostat should be at 82. And if you're not using something, unplug it. And so, like, I, I I have enjoyed that. I have enjoyed the fact that I don't live in Texas, where apparently the electrical grid can't handle anything that's not between 65 and 80 degrees. Dude, 78 degrees? During the day while you're there, while it's 105 degrees outside, go ahead and pop that eight, that thermostat at 78, which some people, I've seen some people on Twitter say that's usually where they keep it at anyway, and I just think they're absolutely out of their mind. What? Who are these people? Reptiles? You you would think who the it's hell keeps their people. house at seventy eight degrees? What is your standard setting? Uh, so during the day, I'll probably keep it at like seventy three because I just can't like I I can't just can't get my house colder yeah. than that. Like my yeah. AC will just run all day and never get below seventy three. Okay. But like seventy three, and I mean I'm pretty warm, I'm pretty toasty, so I'll turn the fans on and be fine. But right, if I'm I'm toasty at seventy three, I cannot imagine. Having this house at seventy eight. Wow, that's wild to me. So eighty five when you're gone. If you have pets, they're gonna die. How are your pets gonna survive being in a house where the, the thermostat's on eighty five? Oh man, I can't imagine that. So I my house stays basically in the summertime. It's on seventy, and in the wintertime, it's on seventy two. So it basically fluctuates between 70 and 72 degrees. Right. 
I mean, I'm not going to act like, you know, when it gets dark, I'm popping that son of a bitch down to 68. But yeah, during the day, I just can't. And I, I mean, I tried. It'll just run all day and never get below 73. But yeah, I'm not. I, I can't, 78 degrees when I sleep. Come on. Yeah. When Wait. I had a tiny house in the village and lived on my own. I, I don't think the temperature in that place, regardless of what time of year it was, ever got above 65. Yeah. Have you ever been to somebody's house where they keep the thermostat on like 80? It's miserable. Oh, man, that's brutal. So my my parents growing up, we lived in the country and there wasn't like central heat and air in, in uh, our house. So basically we had like window units uh-huh. during the summer and then there was this wood burning stove like in the in the middle of the house that that was used in the wintertime. So there's no like temperature control basically. So in the wintertime, you just have to throw wood in there and let that thing burn and it heats the whole house. So it would get so damn hot. Like you go outside into negative degree temperatures to cool off. Like it, it was completely miserable. And that's, that's why I keep my house as cold as I do because I, I just have this thing against hot air inside your home uh growing up that way so oh i can't imagine and i'm I'm, also i'm exaggerating about 78 being too much but that does sound extremely uncomfortable let me just throw this out there though uh in the summer in texas growing up window units like that's the way to go oh yeah because like i mean you could get it because it's just it's just cooling one room. You can get that room to like fifty degrees in two hours, <laughs> right? Even if it's a hundred degrees outside. So yeah, yeah, window units for sure, uh, definitely. Well, and that's assuming you even turn it on. You know, there are also times that you just open all the doors and windows, and and uh, as windy as it is out there, uh, especially yeah. uh, north of Amarillo, um, then you just kind of do that. But yeah, well, that wasn't really an option in Austin. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, wasn't that ever that windy, but uh, yeah, like I guess seventy eight during the day is fine, I guess. But you're gonna like eighty degrees when I sleep? Come on, bro. Oh, yeah, like, that sounds awful. I need to be like, I need to be cold. Eighty two? No, they said eighty two when you're sleeping. It, yeah, I gotta be like, I gotta be cold enough that I can can like snow. I need a up yes. I need a blanket on me to sleep. Yeah, same. So if it's too hot and I can't pull a blanket over me, I'm not going to sleep well. I remember when I was a kid coming home from school and I was in like fifth or sixth grade. And so like I didn't know how to work the thermostat yet. And I would come home during the summer, like at the beginning of the school year in like September or like at the end in May. And I I remember like laying on the couch and like turning the TV on and falling asleep and waking up in a complete panic. Like not remembering that I went to school that day and like thinking like, oh my God, like I, like I didn't go to school today. And like, and now thinking back, I, I'm pretty sure that I was passing out from the heat and like waking <laughs> up with like, like heat exhaustion. Cause like I would forget, it would take me like 15 or 20 minutes to even remember that, like what happened before, like I woke up 10 minutes ago. Damn. I feel like, you know, 82 degrees or 82 70, degrees puts you in danger, man. For real. It's 78 degrees during the day when it's 105 degrees outside. Like somebody it, right now is calling us 
all kinds of names like these soft ass something. So, I mean, I could go outside and handle the heat, but if I'm in my house, I don't want to like, right. I'll go outside if I want to be hot. The point is comfortable in my house, right? The point is you could get by that way, but who, I mean, that just sounds miserable. It does. Oh man. So just glad I'm not in Texas right now. I mean, I'm not like blasting my AC at 68 during the day right now. And it's hot here, obviously, but right. You know, they're out of their minds if they think I'm going to turn my AC on to 85 when I walk out the house. Then I'm going to come home and it's going to be 95 degrees in my house. Yeah. And it's going to take three hours and use way more energy to get it down to 78. Right. Yeah, that sounds miserable. Um, thoughts and prayers, Texas. For real. T's and P's. Uh, if, you ever, uh, if you ever want to punish somebody, just make them set their thermostat on 78. Dude, I grew up in a house. I So I... I lived with my grandparents like probably like seventh through seventh grade through like my senior year. And my grandma, like if it was, if it was above 70 degrees outside, the AC was on like 64. <laughs> I thought old people always liked it hot. Yeah. You would think so. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's always that like stereotype that like, yeah. like females are always cold. No, dude, she was like. 64 like i remember my me and my grandpa are like dude what are you doing it's so cold in here like and like the whole house they didn't have carpet in the house that's so hilarious like, really cold and so i'm just conditioned i can't like i gotta have my house all chill. of my relatives that are older like if you go to their house you better you better put on like the dry fit stuff because you're gonna sweat oh well that's how my other grand that's how my other grandparents were or are i guess yeah I, yeah, that the house is hot. Yeah, but for whatever reason, the one I lived with, she was just always like, "Ah, sixty-two. Yeah. yeah, we're good." Yeah, yeah. They she'd have like the AC on 60, 62, 64 when they go to bed, plus the ceiling fan and like a stand fan, a stand-up fan going. Yeah, yeah. My parents' house is still that way. Like it's you got to have the so when we uh, when we go visit, um, like my bedroom, I guess. Uh, the, the bedroom that we sleep in when we go visit, like there's a fan in the room and then there are two fans on each side of the bed that are like full blast and you're still just laying there sweating. <laughs> I mean, so miserable. It helps though. I mean, I guess it, why it don't you come home no more often? Why don't you come visit? Come see us. It's 90, it's 98 degrees. In the Your house, house is 90 degrees. I need three fans at night and I'm still sweating. That's why. And it's a, and you can't breathe. It's a dry heat that just, Oh yeah. I told you about that wood burning stove. They used to have to fill up a pot and sit on top of it just to get some moisture in the air. Just miserable. That's why it's a miserable existence. Nobody should be a part of that. No, no, definitely not. It's, It's 2021. Yeah. We should be, uh, we should all be right. perfectly comfortable in our, our first world houses. Right. Exactly. I mean, shit, we can't leave. We couldn't leave home for a year, right? Might as right. well have like a nice temperature to be in. Now you're going to tell me to keep my house at 82 when I'm asleep? <laughs> right. You don't let, let me leave my home for a year and now I have to be in the 80s? It's nonsense. All right. Uh, do you want to hit uh, college football or do you want to hit the NBA? Uh, I, no preference. I buy that. Well, I, yeah, no preference. I'll let you pick. All right. Well, we're going to hit both. So, 
Um, right. I guess we can start with the NBA. Dude, this morning, I, uh, I look at uh, the headlines. Kawhi Leonard may be out the remainder of the playoffs. Have you seen this? Yeah. And Chris Paul potentially could be out for the Western Conference Finals because he's in uh, health and safety protocol, I think was the wording. I think he's in COVID protocol, right? Oh, is it COVID protocol? Okay. I, I believe so. Which, look, if I'm being honest, my initial conspiracy about the Chris Paul thing was hmm, uh, the NBA doesn't want yeah, it's a COVID-19 uh, health okay. and safety protocol. Uh, Unbelievable. I'm like, the NBA doesn't want Phoenix to make the finals. They're doing it. They desperately are praying that the Clippers, which if, if Kawhi's out for that series, there's no way the Clippers beat the Jazz uh, two more times. Dude. I don't think so. But the, I'll tell you this. Maybe people disagree with me. I despise watching the LA Clippers. And I despise watching the Utah Jazz. That series does nothing for me. Both of those teams bore the shit out of me. I want nothing to do with Clippers Jazz. And I pray on everything that is holy that neither one of those teams makes the NBA Finals. So, well, if Chris Paul's out for the Western Conference Finals, I can almost guarantee you that one of those teams is making the Finals. Agreed. Oh, that's brutal. I mean, as good as Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton have played this playoffs, like if they don't have Chris Paul in there, I mean, Chris Paul, how many points did he have in that closeout game against uh, uh, Denver? Like 37 or something? Yeah, he was insane in in game four. Played out of his mind. It was the the most points he had scored in like three years in that game. And to take him out and to take out that, because he's not even going to be around the team, so he can't even like, be a uh, like a, a mentor or like a coaching presence uh, in that series. Like he just, that's going to be a huge loss for them, even off the floor if he's not there. So I can't imagine any scenario where they where they beat the Clippers if Kawhi ends up coming back or Utah if Utah stays healthy. I know. I actually, I I agree. I I hate watching the Clippers for whatever reason. The Paul George and Kawhi pairing just bores the hell out of me. I think it's because both, I mean, especially Paul George just takes so many jump shots. And Kawhi, I mean, Kawhi had that, he had a dunk uh, the other night that was pretty impressive. We oh, put, yeah, uh, the one on Gobert? Yeah, that was impressive. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Kawhi could be exciting. But generally speaking, Kawhi's, he's not the most exciting player to watch, you know, for from possession. For to possession. sure. I mean, if you name the NBA superstars or, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you name the top 10 players in the NBA... Kawhi Leonard is probably the least entertaining player to watch of that group. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, he's like... And that doesn't mean he's not good. He Kawhi Leonard's great. But he's just right. he doesn't play necessarily an entertaining brand of basketball. I'm trying to... Or as entertaining as most superstars, I should say. Watching Kawhi is like watching... I don't even know if that's a fair comparison. I was going to say it's like watching Greg Maddox that like... Everything he does is just going to be really good. I don't even think that's fair. I think Greg Maddox was... I think if you're a baseball fan, Greg Maddox was a lot of fun to watch. So... Yeah, but he doesn't, like, blow you away with the gas. He does... You know, it's it's very technical, right? Like... Right. I think you have to appreciate the way the that he's getting it done as opposed to, like, being... Having the wow factor. Like, Greg Maddox didn't wow you when he pitched. Right? right. Like, there wasn't that... Like, holy shit, he just threw 101. Like, it's... 
It's precision. Yeah, I guess, okay, maybe that, okay. Maybe I over... Right, like I Nolan over- Ryan was, had a wow factor when he pitched. For sure. Because he would just throw the ball by you. So, yeah, I think that's a good comparison, actually. Okay, all right, well, there you go. Um, so, yeah, but I like the Jazz. I think the Jazz are a lot of fun to watch, personally. I think oh. Donovan Mitchell is... A lot of fun to watch. I love watching Joe Ingles just be a douchebag again every series that he plays. Um, now, personally, I'm enjoying both of the Eastern Conference series significantly more than the Western Conference series. I'm fully invested in both series in the East. I hate the Bucks. They frustrate the hell out of me. I think that the way that, for whatever reason, that, I mean, we talked about it the other day, like the way that they run their offense. It's just so stupid. And yeah. I think that Boonholzer probably should have, I mean, he probably should have gotten fired last year after, you know, you have Giannis win two MVPs in a row and you don't make it to the finals. I think he probably should have made that change last year, but if they didn't want to because of COVID and all that stuff, then, then so be it. But I mean, he's gone after this year because they're going to lose the series against Brooklyn, especially after Kevin Durant had 49 last night and was playing out of his mind. So, I mean, Sucks for Chris Paul. Sucks for the Suns because they're definitely the team in the West that I'm rooting for. I mean, I, how do you not root for Chris Paul at this point? Like he he went from being one of the most hated players in the NBA to to does anybody not? Is there anybody that watches the NBA right now and isn't rooting for Chris Paul? I mean, unless you ha- unless you have like a team that's still in the NBA playoffs, I can't imagine there are people right now that just are anti. Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Right. Unless you're a Clippers fan, which they, those don't really exist. There's no real, like right. outside of maybe like Billy Crystal, there's right. no real Clippers fans. And then, so yeah, basically just jazz fans are the only ones not rooting for Chris Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a, a rooting interest right now, I think, you know, you're, you're probably on their side. I mean, he's, he went from being, I think on maybe the Mount Rushmore of, irritating players in the NBA in those final couple years and with the Clippers and then obviously with uh, Houston uh, to, I think, easily on the Mount Rushmore of of likable players in the NBA with what he did as a leader in OKC and Phoenix and just his overall play, uh, how he elevates the guys around him. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean he's got to be like in the conversation of I don't know how you would rank this or like kind of do this, but like if you if you were somehow figure out a way to rank the best players that make the their teammates better, Chris Paul has to be like in the top three just based off what he did the last two years with a Thunder team that was, you know, full of twenty year olds with Lou Dort and freaking Shea Gilgis Alexander and and Darius Baisley and to you know be as good as they were and make the playoffs and then to go to Phoenix who. It's incredibly young, and I mean, I understand that Phoenix won like the eight in a row in the bubble last year, but I mean, they weren't good. Phoenix hasn't been good in a decade, and then immediately the first year that he's there, they're they're the two seed and in the Western Conference Finals, if not the finals. Yeah, I don't think you can make a case that anybody is better than Chris Paul at that period. Not right now. Not right now. Right. I mean, for two straight years, Chris Paul... Nobody elevates their teammates like Chris Paul has for two years in a row, and he's done it with two completely different groups with guys that are unproven NBA stars. I mean, obviously the writing was on the wall with Devin Booker, but still, I mean, it's two complete rosters that are night and day as far as as their play with Chris Paul on the roster. 
for sure. And I mean, there's a there there is a, a an argument or something to be made that you know they're just they they're getting more experience and kind of growing into themselves as a team. But still, Chris Paul is really the only difference. And they talked about this on I think Charles Barkley talked about it on the NBA show the other night. Chris Paul is the only the only difference between the team last year and this year. So you have to give him you know a lot of credit for this team improving to the extent that they've improved because outside of that nothing really changed on this team. I guess they added Jay Crowder. I don't know if Jay Crowder was on the team last year or not, but I mean Jay Crowder and Chris Paul are really the only two true veterans on that team and Chris Paul definitely has more of an impact than Jay Crowder does on the teammates, but Yeah. Jay Crowder is one of the best role players in the NBA though. Yeah, I mean he has been since yeah. but going back to like Boston Trying to remember. I mean, he's yeah. yeah, he's been all over the place as a great role player. Yeah, like you have to have those guys to win, right? Like he he just does all the things that have to be done at a high level without being the superstar. Like somebody has to sacrifice not being the guy that stands in front of the the spotlight and does all the post game interviews to hit open shots and defend the other team's best players and just you know do, he does everything well. Right. Yeah, he's it's incredible. I mean, he's. Chris Paul's been in the league for what, fifteen years, sixteen years now. Is is that it? <laughs> well, he also went to college, so yeah, that's true. It feels yeah, like he, it's been like twenty years, but it really does. Yeah, he was in the. I know he was a senior in high school, and he was part of the two thousand and three recruiting class. His first season was oh five oh six, with the Oklahoma City Hornets. By the way. So yeah, he's like fifteen, yeah, fifteen years going into sixteen next year. It looks good too. I mean, it, yeah, it's crazy. Like he's played two really good years in a row with Oklahoma City. He's and second Alphine. team All NBA in what I believe is the most talent rich era for ball dominant guards in NBA history. Second team All NBA. You could make the art. He was a top five MVP candidate this year in year 15. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I don't he's... think it can be understated what his impact is this late in his career, how, how well he's playing. It's, it's unbelievable. It's because he went to a plant-based diet, Colby. He cures everything. Not yeah. Really, I don't know. He did go to a plant-based diet, but I'm not going to be, I'm going to sit here and act like that's <laughs> the reason that he's still playing good. <laughs> Oh, come on, Aaron. Plants don't, uh, plants aren't food. They're, they're, that's decoration on the plate. You're not <laughs> supposed to eat that. Just give me a full cow. Uh, yeah, it's, look, oh, also, by the way, um, how, is it wild to you that we're watching, I mean, they play again tonight, they play game five tonight. They were like we're watching Trey Young in the in, in the in the playoffs in the semifinal Eastern Conference semifinals, like hitting game winning shots with like ten seconds to go or fifteen seconds to go, and then just to think like what four years ago five years I guess it was four or five yeah four and five years ago we're like watching him in a gym in Norman yeah and thinking to and like looking around and like people that aren't like that they've heard the name but they haven't seen him or like. Oh, where's that Trey Young kid? I heard he's pretty good. And then the they realize that he's the kid that's realistically probably like 5'10". Yeah, oh yeah. 
and just like there's you're like there's no way there's no way that's that Trey Young kid and then like you watch him play and you're like man that's pretty good like but he's really good obviously but he's playing against high schoolers how is that going to translate to college and then it translates right. to college and he's really good at OU in the Big 12 and then you're like okay yeah but he's playing you know he's playing some of his games against Kansas State or like you know Texas Tech like is that going to translate to the NBA and he gets the NBA and he's freaking amazing. Absolutely. And and look, even even as he was good in the NBA cuz I I was that way going from Norman North to college, I was like, man, this guy's skill set is exceptional, like off the charts great. But will that make up for the size? And in college it wasn't even an issue. And then you you basically like I said that same thing when he went to the NBA. Like I thought he would be a good NBA player just because his skill set is phenomenal. Like he can handle the ball, he can shoot, like he he's elite at that. So I thought he would be good. I didn't think he was going to be all-star good. And then even when you become all-star good, you're like, but does that translate to postseason basketball because how many all-star caliber players are there in the NBA that get to the postseason and then their game looks completely different? Oh, and for him, it's been seamless. Yeah. Like, Trey Young is not only elevating his star power through the last month, but he's on his way to becoming one of those elite players in the NBA where we kind of draw that line of there's this group of all-star caliber elite players, but then you cut that group in half because half of them aren't able to translate that to playoff basketball. And he's he's been... Uh, it, it's incredible. I, I'm like, I'm stunned to see how good he is in the postseason. I never would have imagined that he was going to be this good. Right. It, something interesting is that... Uh, so, I mean, this is a possible matchup. If Brooklyn wins and then Atlanta wins, which... If Embiid is hurt, and he play, Embiid looked terrible last night in the second half. I know you said that you kind of checked out, but, I mean, he was... I, I don't think he made one shot in the second half last night in that game, and it looks like he may have some knee issues right now that are flaring up, but... If Atlanta ends up winning that series, they're going to go against the Brooklyn. And Trey Young said that his favorite player growing up was Steve Nash. And if you watch Trey Young, I, I see it. Like, I, was, I mean, Steve Nash yeah. obviously wasn't shooting from 35 feet, but the way that that Trey Young dictates the pace of a game, he's so good at speeding up, speeding the tempo, and slowing the tempo, even on the same possession. Right, And that was something that Steve Nash was really good at. Something that guys like Russell Westbrook never really implemented in their game was the ability to control the tempo of a game. Right. And I, I like, Trey's a great shooter, but I personally, I think his best ability or skill right now is that ability to control the pace of the game. And he does it exceptionally well. And considering, I mean, the fact he's only in his third year is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris that's Paul's one really of those things that you too. can't really quantify in a box score or you know, looking at his season statistics. Uh, but if you're watching him play, yeah, it, it absolutely has a massive impact on their success. And uh, again, I think that just plays into like, it's amazing to watch him do it on this stage as opposed to just during the 82-game regular season when, you know, a lot of that kind of just goes goes out the window, right? It's just like, yeah. okay, whatever, like you're not really facing teams that are trying to take away your strengths. Now you're doing that and you're facing a team repeatedly that has the opportunity to make adjustments and you're still having success. Uh, that's 
again, I, I, I just think that's where you, I think, establish yourself as a superstar, and he's he's on his way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's as long as he stays healthy. I mean, and two, it's fun to just talk about and think about like that that Luka Doncic, Trey Young trade. I mean, how many trades are made in any sport, especially like in a draft, where both teams just hit complete right. home runs? And now, I mean, if these rumors are true that you know Luka's future in Dallas may be in doubt because of some person in the front office, which Mark Cuban tweeted that that was completely false. But I mean, Mark Cuban's not exactly the best source for, you know, being unbiased when it comes to the Mavericks. But I mean, there's two, those are two as of right now. I mean, they're going to be MVP candidates for the next 10 years, if not longer. If we were going to have a draft going into next season, we're going to draft the NBA and it's for a it's just for one year. It's not like, you know, trying to play like a 10-year game, but it's for one season. Is Embiid a top 10 pick for you? Um No, probably not. Yeah. So. Um his, I mean, his he's really good. His talent level is, his skill set is, but we're kind of at the point where if that's your best player, you don't know if he's even going to be available. Like it's this has been his issue his entire career to the point that like if you're ranking players, this has to be considered in where you put him. Because if he's your best you have to have your best player to win. And if your best player is continually not physically able to lead your team to wins, then what's the point in having him? Yeah, and not not only I mean, just let's just assume that everybody stays healthy for that one year too. It's taken them. I mean, Embiid has been really good in the NBA. I mean, he took another step this year. Obviously, he's great. He finished second yeah. in the MVP voting. But he's been a really good player for like four or five years now, for sure. And but it hasn't translated to that team really doing much. Uh, you know, in the playoffs and you know making a real run and getting to the finals, obviously. And, it, and they've continually had to bring in players, make big trades to bring guys in because and it, because they don't have a ball-dominant guard. I mean, Vin Simmons is not – he's not Chris Paul. He's not Luka Doncic. He's not Trey Young. And I just – it makes it so much more – you can win You can win with Joel Embiid as that top 10 pick, but you're going to have to construct the rest of that roster so much – it's going to be so much more difficult and you got to be more precise on who you bring in and you're going to have to bring in more talent around him just because he, I mean, he, he's a sinner. Like he can't, he can't have the ball in his hands, you know, 90% of the time his usage rate isn't going to be the same as like a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving or a Trey Young. Now, like Jokic is the example, obviously, or the exception, uh, obviously, because the offense runs through him. But Embiid isn't Jokic. He doesn't have that same skill set. So, I yeah, I it, I can't take him top 10 just because it's going to be so much harder to win with him being the first pick on my team. And I, I think the same thing will go with Giannis. I think Giannis is in the same situation that Embiid's in, that you need to have the right players around him. And if you don't get those right exact players, it's not going to translate. 
and it hasn't translated for either team yet since those guys got a you know join yeah. Philadelphia for Embiid and Giannis in in Milwaukee. It just doesn't translate in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but I think with with at least with Giannis, you know your best player is going to be on the court. True. Like yeah. that's where I am with Embiid. Like I I think he is. If if Embiid never had a health issue and he had played eighty two games a year and and wasn't going through these NBA playoff runs where you don't even know if he's going to be on the floor or if he is, how much he can even contribute. Um, I mean, we might be talking about the best player in the NBA. Like, there's there's legitimately that conversation to be had. But I don't see yeah. how you could justify taking him as a top 10 pick when now we, we have enough data over the course of his career to say, like, do you realistically expect this guy to play every game for you? I mean, Embiid started his NBA career with an injury. He, right. sat out, he, he missed his entire first year with an injury because of an injury. Before he ever like played a game, he had already had an injury. So, and I mean, that's it's not a knock on him. He's really good, and right, like, it's he's just, yeah, he's just a seven foot dude that you know, it's it's tough for dudes that big to stay healthy, especially in their knees and feet. I mean, li- I mean, you can list a, a list. You have a list a hundred players long in the NBA of guys that were you know seven feet tall that couldn't get through injury issues. Greg Oden's another one. Like, and that it just like it that that just goes to show like how insane it is that Shaq played his entire Absolutely. career and never had any real injury issues. Yeah. He was as big as he was. MB didn't just, play his first two years. Didn't play in 14, 15, didn't play in 15, 16, played 31 games in 16, 17, wow. and then 63, 64, 51, and 51. Was he in the Wiggins draft class? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those guys went to Kansas together. Yeah, it's wild. I remember, I remember that draft class, and I remember like I didn't keep up with the NBA. Uh, I mean, I kept up with it then, but I didn't keep up with it like as close as I do now. And I especially wasn't keeping up with college basketball at the time. Yeah, Hell, I keep up with college basketball more than I did, you know, in that at that time. But I remember like knowing about Andrew Wiggins, and I'm like, oh, Andrew Wiggins, this guy's good. Just thinking that he was just going to be like the next, like you know superstar wing player that's just gonna you know go drop 28 a game yeah completely wrong on that and then yeah. like i get they get to the draft time and they're like oh Embiid might be the one pick i'm like who the hell is joel Embiid? they had two kansas have both these guys and didn't do anything yeah which just goes to show you i mean thing they call it this thing with college basketball we talked about march madness is like you just because you have two top you know recruits for you know what like 30 games doesn't mean you're gonna win it's funny because I was completely wrong in that draft as well, but it wasn't about Andrew Wiggins because I wasn't on the Wiggins train. I just just didn't see like that that next level like fire with him. Like obviously yeah. the athleticism and ability was there, but it just kind of felt like that intangible uh, that makes great players great. Like was just missing with him. I, I don't I don't know like how to describe it. I mean but- it's. I mean, I, you watch him play in the NBA for the past six years. Right. Like you can see exactly what it is. He just yeah. doesn't. But uh, He doesn't have that switch necessarily. The guy that I was completely wrong about was Jabari Parker. Like, I, I was uh, I was all in on Jabari Parker. I thought he it, if, if I had a pick in that draft, Jabari Parker was it. Well, he's another guy that's had the injury issues. I mean, he hasn't, yeah. played, he hasn't played 40 games. The last season he uh, – well, hang on. He's been traded a lot, so this yeah. is going to take me a minute. I mean, just a lot of issues. There's, there's too much math. He's been on like 19 teams in the oh, past like three years. Wow. So, uh, 
Oh, here we go. Okay, 38 games in 2019-2020. This season, he played a total of 13. Not started, played a total of 13 games this season. Yeah. 2018-2019, he played in 64 games, but 31 before that, 51. Like, he just, he can't stay on the floor. He can't stay healthy. And and look, that was one of the knocks on him going into that draft. It was bad body. People were like, this guy doesn't, you know, he has a bad body. He never looked in shape. Yeah. His skill set was so good, though. I mean, stretch five. Yeah, I mean, he was. He should have came into the NBA been a stretch four, maybe like a smaller stretch five. And like, I'm sure there were points in, in Milwaukee early on that you know you saw f- flashes of that that potential. I mean, he scored 20 points a game in 2016, 2017. But again, he got hurt. He only played 51 games that year. Man, he was so good at Duke. I don't even like Duke players, but I liked Jabari Parker. Uh, I'm looking through that draft class. Marcus Smart, six. Julius Randle, seven. Randle was another guy. I really liked his skill set, but I think he was kind of, you know, he he was kind of viewed as maybe an undersized four. Um, six, eight, 250. I think he kind of had the same, a little bit of the same uh, comments about him as, as Jabari Parker did. Yeah, um... Honestly, like Julius Randle is one of those guys that like even going back to when he was at the Lakers, like he immediately was just like, like, this is a good player. You watch him play. He's big. He's physical. He like he plays pretty well in the post, but he just always seemed like one of those guys that came into the league like 20 years too late. Yeah. And it just it was like his his ceiling was just going to be so much lower in today's NBA. But I mean, credit to him. Like he's he's improved year to year. He's one of those guys that every year he gets better. And I mean, he's all in, he was what second team All NBA this year. Yeah. Um, well, he the re- thing is, he looks more athletic today than he did when he came into the league, right? Like that's that yeah. to me is the thing that really stands out is he he even for a six eight like big bodied guy coming into the league from Kentucky, he had he had really nice skills. But he didn't look like tremendously athletic, whereas like now I feel like he looks more athletic than he did when he was a college age kid, which is crazy. Maybe he, uh, maybe he, he started getting all those comparisons that he was a poor man Zion, so he just yeah. took it personal. He's like, nah, yeah. I'm gonna hit the gym. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Stan Van Gundy out as the uh, Pelicans head coach one year in New Orleans, and he said, F- Yeah, this. that was a complete catastrophe this year. I mean, the roster was compo- it was a horribly constructed roster. First off, which I it mean, is, I don't know how much- but you all you have Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, and you can't get one of the ten spots that are available yeah, for a pretty embarrassing playoff yeah. seat. Good lord, yeah. I mean, when you're looking at the standings in January, and the Thunder are fighting for a playoff right. spot, and it took the Thunder literally saying, "Screw this, we're not we're not trying at all for the next two months." Yeah. To get them to fall out in, in New Orleans was never even con- in contention. Yeah, that, that's pretty. That's pretty inexcusable. I mean, yeah, they've got Zion they, they and have, Brandon Ingram are both really good really players. Good. Yeah, and Lonzo Ball. I mean, he's okay. He's a decent player. He's a good uh, role Brandon, player. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They've got decent role players around them. It's just. I mean, look. If you look at that roster, you could see why Stan Van Gundy would take that job because. It's very. It was a very twenty. 2007 constructed NBA roster. But, yeah. Stan Van Gundy, not the only coach out today. 
The Wizards and Scott Brooks have agreed to part ways. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, j- just uh, now. Heavy news like, dump. Just this second. Well, that's not surprising. I look. I mean, I if I'm Washington, it like I don't know what what you're doing. I mean, Russell Westbrook, you you can't move him because nobody's going to take that money. Does he have one year left? I think he has two. I think he has one and then a player option. So I think he's due like ninety million over the next two years. And Chris Paul potentially declining his player option is incredibly ballsy. But he's had two tremendous years in a row. Yeah. And he's winning in the playoffs right now. Uh, I, I think I think everybody in the world knows what Russell Westbrook is at this point. He's he's a guy that in the regular season can get hot for a month. Yeah. But when you if if he makes the playoffs, he's not going to do anything. So if you're Washington, I like trade Bradley Bill, get something for him, and just like let just be the 2016 Thunder, but don't win any games, and just let Russell Westbrook have 81 triple doubles and you know win 30 games, but. I mean, look, Scott Brooks has been there for a few years. He, they, they haven't been good. Bradley Beal's going to be a Laker next year. That's my yeah. prediction. Because they're going to LeBron's going to do something. Yeah, I'm afraid that it's going to be Dame. If Dame goes to the Lakers, I'm going to be pretty oh. upset. But I think Bradley Beal might be a good like consolation prize. Two favorite players in the league right now are Dame and Giannis, and I really don't want Dame to be a Laker because then I'll have to take him off that Just, list. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe Dame goes to the Knicks, but he's not going to be in any better situation than he was in Portland if he goes to the Knicks. No, not really. All other than being in the East. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're in the you're in the East, so you might you might win a playoff series, but then you're just going to run into you know the Sixers or the Nets in the second round, and if those teams are healthy, you can't. You're not well, yeah, the that's Knicks. the thing though. Like I'm the Sixers don't worry me at all. Like, Embiid's probably going to be hurt. You'll be fine. Um, probably so. For the Nets, I mean, you know, again, like, Kyrie, Harden, all those injuries. Like, I don't know. if, if it, Bro, it doesn't matter. Nobody's beating the Nets if uh, if they're healthy. That's for sure. It doesn't even matter if they're healthy. The Bucks were up, like, 16 points last night. Yeah. James Harden was, like, playing at, like, 30% probably. Like, he, he wasn't very good last night. Kyrie's out. And they and Kevin Durant's just like, well, you know, I'm the best player in the world. I'm just going to drop 49 <laughs> and just be completely unstoppable for and play the whole minutes. game. Played every minute in that every game. Every minute. Uh, oh, okay. I was going to ask you this. I had this thought last night. The Nets. If you if you're Steve Nash or if you're a Nets fan or or whatever or just whatever, however you want to look at it, what a perspective. The Nets team. I would much rather Kyrie Irving be out than James Harden. Absolutely. Because James Harden just does so much more for that team. Even when he's not playing good, he's so much more of a dynamic threat than Kyrie. That If I'm going to pick between the two, as good as Kyrie is, and he's amazing, he's a great scorer. But outside of you know scoring in isolation, he doesn't really add much to your team because he doesn't really make the players around him better. Like, you I mean, go back to Cleveland. It wasn't him making that team good as far as, like, all the role players right. thriving. It was LeBron. Yeah. But if if I'm gonna have to pick, like I'd rather have James Harden out there at fifty percent than have Kyrie out there at eighty percent. Honestly, because- I don't even think that's a conversation. Like anybody that I, I like, if you polled NBA fans that watch that team play regularly, I don't think anybody's picking Kyrie. Right. Like I think I mean, that would be a lopsided vote. 
even if Harden's shot isn't falling, which happens right. sometimes. He's a better he's point guard. A, right. He's such a dynamic facilitator in the game. And I, I don't know if he's at that level where he makes his teammates better necessarily. He is. Like a Chris Paul is. But his I mean, he's going to get him open shots for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I easy, easy. But, I mean, hell, if Kevin Durant's going to score 50, do you really – I don't know if you need either one of them. <laughs> and if Jeff Green's going to go – Jeff Green's going to go 7 of 8 from 3. Well, I, I would imagine that uh, Milwaukee does something. I mean, you have I to sell they out don't to do stop. It. They haven't done anything in three yeah. years. They've you have to sell out to stop years. Kevin Durant in game six. So if it, if, I mean, you have to make somebody else beat you. So, but right. yeah, I mean, harden over Kyrie all day. It's not even close. Which, I mean, you say you got to make somebody else beat you, but that's, we talked about it a m- months ago that that's what makes this Nets team scary is because you say you got to make somebody else beat you, but then Jeff Green hits this, fir- hits seven yeah. threes in a row. Well, that's fine. Yeah, in, yeah. If Jeff Green hits seven threes in a row, though, like, what okay, do, you do though, yeah, that you, uh, yeah, you can't do anything. Like, you're gonna lose anyway. So, but that's, but that's the Nets team. I mean, their role players are so good that, like, it, yeah. it could be, it could be Joe Harris to tomorrow night right. that hits seven threes in a row. Or I guess tonight. I don't know when the yeah. game. I, guess, I think they played it. They play tomorrow. But or it could be Blake dropping twenty, or it could be for sure. Uh, you know, Landry Shamit hitting five. I just don't see how this team loses at any point. I don't either. Even if Kyrie and James Harden are both banged up. I don't either. But, I mean, you have to make somebody, you have to make Jeff Green hit those shots rather than Kevin Durant. But, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty tough situation when they're both hitting the shots. Well, for sure, yeah. That's why they're going to win. I mean, they're going to win it all because of that. But if you are playing against them, do you want Jeff Green shooting seven threes or do you want Kevin Durant shooting seven threes? I've... I, you know, I definitely want Jeff Green shooting exactly. threes. Exactly. You've got to make somebody argue, else beat you. The is problem is, any, those guys are probably going to beat you. Right. Is there any argument for any other player in the world being better than Kevin Durant right now? I don't think so. I uh, I just... I don't think there is either. I, I don't think, like... I think if everybody in the league is healthy, LeBron might be too still... But I, I think there's just a gap at this point between Le, what LeBron is doing and what Kevin can do at this point. Yeah, for sure. And look, I thought we were kind of there before the when you know around the time the Achilles happened, and then I think we so all too. had to pump the brakes on saying that he was the best player in the NBA because he had an Achilles injury. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I think we were at that point when we, when we watched two NBA Finals in a row where Kevin just completely dominated LeBron. And yeah, he just took over those finals games down the stretch and just hit every shot that he took like in big minutes. It was, yeah, I think we were, we were kind of at that stage of passing the torch and then the Achilles happens and it kind of extended LeBron's. Yeah. It kind of extended LeBron's uh, reign at the top and then kind of Kawhi Leonard won that title and kind of snuck in there in that conversation for, for like a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, all right, one more. Well, I got one more question, NBA related. And then, okay. uh, if, if if we if you want to move on, yeah. it's Kevin Durant related too. But okay, I'm just curious on your opinion. Do you think you think the wound is healed with Oklahoma with Oklahoma and Kevin Durant? No. You think that because he's on the Nets? No. That you don't think so? No. I, I I just don't see the I don't see the vitriol and the hate on Twitter anymore for Kevin Durant. He plays with a freaking net. Dude, it's lessened. Like, it's not as intense as it used to be, but it's still there. 
Okay. There I guess was a snake not, in my okay. yard a week ago, and I posted a picture of it, and like 40 okay. people were like, oh, Kevin Durant's in your yard. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I guess, okay, it's not an open wound anymore, but it's it's still a t- very tender wound. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, okay, it's I, not like an I, arteries just, you know, gushing blood, but yeah, it's there's still a wound. I will say, though, and it seems like it's kind of, the, the meme has kind of dried out a little bit. I The Kevin Durant, my journey meme, was hilarious for the first, like, six months. But we got to kill that thing, man. Like, anytime somebody, like, changes teams or, like, a good player loses to a team, like, we got to throw that Kevin Durant, my, like, meme out. I'm like, okay, let's – It's it was funny for a while, but – I'll tell we, you this, over, I still enjoy over. every time somebody wins a championship that 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 it shows up with Ke- like even if it's hockey, like let's say let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup and then that night like somebody has the Kevin Durant, you know, in the white shirt with the Lightning logo on it meme. Like that still cracks me up every time there's a title. Uh speaking of memes, I completely ran thought. Have you seen the uh I, the Salina truck stop uh Facebook post? I don't think so. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to send it to you. There's this there's a Facebook page. It, it's like Salina something truck stop, and they like very very well do a very good job of like photoshopping celebrities or athletes onto like the these like trucker bodies and making these posts of like. Uh, let me find one. Um, just like these completely obnoxious Facebook posts and everybody thinks they're real. So it's called Salina 52 truck stop. And, uh, it's a real, it's a real plate like business, like gas station, but they just do memes or fake posts. Let me see if I can find one. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. So they did one six days ago and it says, who says only men drive trucks? Big rig driver Amelia stopped in this morning to redeem her cranking the hog reward points for this brand new mini fridge valued at over $500 due to the Monster Energy branding. Thanks for continuing to let us service you. And uh, it's a Photoshop of Amy Schumer on the, uh, some random lady's body. And uh, the shirt says uh, trucking and uh, effing, but it just says the full word. Yeah. I don't want to make you have to bleep that out if you didn't want to. But uh, Oh, you can say it. I've done Okay, yeah, it says trucking and fucking, and uh, I, they just do it all the time, but the original one that they did was a uh, a hockey player, which made me think of it, which is completely... Nice. I, I'm going full ADHD right now, but it, it's funny. They're funny posts, and they look real, and if you didn't, you don't recognize a celebrity, you'll 100% think they're real, because they're, they did one with uh, Post Malone, too. And they just look real. It's funny. You should check it Is out. Is this the one uh, where uh, they posted the picture of the guy that was like the trucker of the month and he stopped in and got the can of Copenhagen or whatever it was? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it was. That was a hockey player. I can't remember who it was. Oh, but they, okay. Yeah. yeah they, I mean, they, I mean, he's a free hockey player. So like it was Phil, Phil Kessling, maybe. Phil Kessel. Kessel, maybe plays for Las Vegas. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I I my NH, I'm so off on the NHL right yeah. now. But yes, that is exactly the one. But okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gave me one. Is got his complimentary can of Copenhagen. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. But uh, a random tangent that I just. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's talk some college football. All right, twelve team playoff. How do you feel? I'm okay. 
Why? Why? Why do we need a 12-team playoff? So we've talked about this ad nauseum over the past five, three or four years. These semifinal games are always terrible. Just always just utter trash. Right. I mean, there's exceptions, obviously. Like, OU Georgia was a great game. But outside of that, like... That's the exception to the rule. Three out of every four games are terrible yeah. blowouts. And it's not it's not always the higher seed that blows the you know blows them out, but it doesn't matter. Like one of the teams is just at that point in the season, just significantly better than the other semifinal team. So why do you want to expand it to twelve where you're gonna get a situation where uh, let me let me I'm gonna pull up the rankings from last year's for my argument's sake. So we're gonna get a situation where Alabama's number one last year, right? Going into the playoffs. Right. I, don't, I don't think there's any argument that they wouldn't have been the number one team in any any scenario. Whether it's 100 teams or four teams. So, Alabama, we're looking at Alabama versus what, like a Miami team <laughs> in the first round? Well, the way that this would be constructed is the top... Why did they have conference winners, right? The top the four top- get a bye. Okay, I guess so. So basically the bottom eight in the 12-team playoff would play each other in the first round, and then the winners get the top four seeds. But to be able to be eligible to get a bye, you would have to be a conference champion. So that's how you still keep teams motivated to win their conference title. You said the top four get a bye? Yeah. I. Okay, I, I guess that makes the first round more interesting. But it doesn't change the fact that you go to the next round and then, okay, so you're getting Alabama and Texas A&M? Yeah. If Texas a- like, say Texas A&M beats Miami last year. They have no chance of beating Alabama. I th- Look, I think for me, if you're expanding, the only way to go is to go six. You go six, the top two teams get a bye, and then it's just two – you get two more teams in there. And it just – it. I think it makes everybody a little bit happier because there's usually it's usually that four or five spot that really has some debate on who should get in. And then, you know, let's roll with six and see how that goes. If you want to go eight, then then whatever. But I think you're still running in the same situation where the games aren't going to be that interesting in the first round. Twelve is just overkill. Like, why are we going from four to twelve? College football is not in a, in a state right now where you have 12 teams that legitimately are should be competing for a national championship. Yeah. I mean, what do you do last year? I, look, it's a complete extreme example because last year of COVID, but like Oregon played like three games. Do they get in the playoffs? Yeah, last year's, like I think you have to throw last year out the window. Right, for uh, sure. Because you can't, you can't create any sort of structured playoff based on the anomaly okay. that was That's fair. So let's go back to 2019 then. All right, so 2019, what do we got? Uh, okay. College football playoff ring is 2019. Let's see what we got here. So we had LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, OU 4. That, that's the what we got in, Right. Right. Georgia 5, Oregon 6, Baylor 7, Wisconsin 8, Florida 9, Penn State 10, Utah 11, Auburn 12. So let's say – so we get Georgia-Auburn in the first round, right? The winner of that game gets LSU. Let's say Auburn, who was 9-3 and that year, wins that game. Does it change anything? Does LSU having to play an extra game change the fact that they're just going to roll through and win the national championship? Right. 
I mean, unless Joe Burrow somehow gets hurt because he plays an extra game, which is not why we want to expand the playoffs. We don't want to expand the playoffs because it might increase the chance of injuries and open up the, you know, the playing field. But that's not the that's not why we're doing this. I mean, really, we're doing because it it's a money. Like this is just a money thing. But it's about it money and inclusion, right? Like that's that's right. all this is about. But we don't need inclusion. Like college football is not at a point where it needs the playoffs need to be more inclusive because the playing field is just it's it's not it's just not as level as it used to be, and it it never has been like in this in college football. It's never been a sport where you you look at like it's the end of November and you're looking at 10 teams that legitimately should be playing for national championship. It's just not the way the sport works, but maybe, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you can make an argument for like six or seven teams. But even then, like, I still don't think that was the case. Right. So there you go. Like generally speaking, like there's three teams year to year. There's three teams, maybe four, but in the playoffs, it's shown that there's never really four teams because most of the time the fourth team just gets absolutely obliterated. We've seen it with OU multiple times. Like that they don't have any right being in the, in those playoff games as that four seed. In the BCS uh, era, what, maybe one out of every four years there was maybe an argument for a third team. Right. And uh, look, I, I I hate like I bitched about the BCS just like everybody else at the day of the time, but you look back on it they really I mean almost every time they got it right. Yeah, I mean, like, the two best teams were almost always playing for the right. national championship game. And like you said, there were exceptions. Like I, I don't remember what year it was. Maybe 2004, the, the Auburn team went undefeated and didn't get in the national championship game. Right. And uh, I, I think it was the year OU got in with one loss, maybe after they lost to Kansas State. But I, I, I maybe get my years mixed up. But it doesn't matter. I You're right. I think that's right. I think that's right. There were years on occasion where that third team didn't get in. But you know what they did? I mean, the BC, one thing the BCS was great about as well is that after that year, they realized that their algorithm wasn't working properly and they made adjustments and they were at a point where the last few years, like they got it right. Like there was no argument at the, when you watch those two teams play the national championship game, there's no argument that they have the right teams in there. Yeah. Like it's, you're always going to have an argument, I think for the last spot no matter how many you put in. I mean, we do this in college basketball, right? There are 68 teams that get in, and immediately, every year when they r- announce the the bracket, ESPN's doing a show about, you know, who got snubbed and, and all that. Like, it, that's nonsense. We're always going to argue over who should have been that last team to get in when there's not like a an exact science of this is what you have to do to qualify. Right. When so, when so much of it is just eye test. Like, yeah. how... How do you determine that like a number four Oklahoma team is better than a number five Georgia team? Right. It's just it's a bias thing. You just pick you pick the team you think is better based on their playing style and the, what you think would happen. And it's I mean that, that that is a problem that's never going to go away in college football. It's just never going to. Like you're always gonna have that argument or that debate, especially if there's like a four or five thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like the 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 gap between the number four team and the number five team almost every year it's not that big, right? I I think people feel like if it goes to twelve, we're going to have more inclusion for teams that aren't traditionally able to get into the playoff, right? Like that's that's what I think people want. But then they get in and they get rolled. They by for by sure Alabama. Like I I don't think we're actually fixing the problem though because. Like we're gonna we're gonna continue to use 2019 because again there are just so many 
things about 2020 that that just don't really translate to a normal college football season. So I don't want to use 2020, but like let's use 2019 for example. So if you look at the final rankings before the playoff was announced and before the bowl games were played, and you look at that top 12, you mentioned it a second ago. Go down that list, and at number 17, you have Memphis, who is 12 and 1. At number 19, you have Boise, who is 12 and 1. And at number 20, you have Appy State, which was 12 and 1. So you have three group of five teams that were 12 and 1, and not a single one of those teams was ranked in the top 12. Are you telling me that people that want more inclusion believe that a group of five team? that goes 12 and 1 is going to be considered better than 10 and 2 Penn State or 10 and 2 Florida or 11 and 2 Georgia? The answer is no. It's still right. going to be the exact same thing it is now with four, only we're going to allow more blue bloods to have the opportunity to make college football playoff appearances and I I truly believe unless you are an undefeated group of 5 team, nobody in their right mind believes 12 and 1 Memphis is a better football team than 10 and 2 Florida let's, or let's, than let's, 11 and 2 Baylor that year, right? We watched 11 right. and 2 Baylor in that Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma. They were good. They were a good team and they yeah. played a power 5 schedule. Nobody's going to make the argument that Memphis at 12 and 1 should be in over two lost Baylor out of a power 5 conference. Let's do a, yeah, let's do a little exercise. So Memphis in 2019, 12 and one. Appalachian State, 12 and one. Boise State, 12 and one. What? Okay, why are those teams 12 and one? Is it because they don't play, uh, you know, in the SEC because they don't play teams like Alabama or LSU or Georgia? They don't or Auburn. Like maybe they're 12 and one because they don't play that level of competition. Right. And if you put them in that level of competition for a full season, guess what? They ain't winning 12 games. They probably ain't winning six games. Right. If you put Memphis in the Big 12, you think they win seven games? Honestly. They might win seven. I mean. Maybe. But that's the thing. Maybe. Yeah, they maybe win they win eight games. or nine. Like, I, I'm not I'm not going to say they weren't a good football team. At that point, they're not even in the conversation. Right. Right. That's, that's the point is eight and nine win teams aren't in the conversation. And that's what, at best, that's what those teams are right. playing against the teams that they're going to run into in the playoffs. Right. And I, and this is a problem. This is a like a fallout of the BCS is that we've gotten caught up in these power, these group of five teams being able to compete because there were like exceptions where like Central Florida beats. I, I don't remember what team that Blake Bortles Central Florida team beat in the Baylor, in the right? Maybe Florida or Oregon. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I think it was Baylor. I think it was, it was either Baylor or TCU, but it doesn't matter. Maybe TCU, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Or, hell, TCU when they were in the Mountain West beating Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl or right. Boise State beating OU in the Fiesta right. Bowl. Like, this is a fallout of that because we've seen times where those teams in one game have been able to upset these teams in sure. bowl games. But guess what? It ain't a one-game playoff. If Memphis goes up against Oklahoma – and let's say Memphis beats Oklahoma. Well, you know what they got to do next week? They got to beat Clemson. It ain't happening. They're not like it's they're all it's going to do is they're just going to get in, maybe win one game and then get embarrassed because it, you just don't have the horses at those schools to compete with. You don't have the depth to play teams. that level of football right. week after week and survive. Right. Like that's the thing. Exactly. It's just it, it it's a recipe for disaster for team. It, it just won't change anything. 
Like the I way agree. the recruiting is done now, like the same teams are just going to remain at the top because they consistently like Alabama's not going to go anywhere as long as they continue to bring in five star after five star. And like obviously not every five star pans out, but guess what? If you bring in ten five stars and five of them work out, well, damn, you got five elite players. That's that's five more five stars than. 98% of college football has. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's not going to change anything. It's just going to extend, it's just going to draw out the, the ultimate result that we all know that we can all predict. Yeah. Halfway through the season. I'm kind of at the point where, like, I think this has become an argument about, like, if you want to ask me, are there 12 deserving teams in college football? The answer is obviously no. I mean, every year we we talk about there aren't four deserving teams, right? Like when you really break it down, are there are are teams four, five, and six as good as teams one and two? Again, there are exceptions to the rule, but most of the time, no. I think I've gotten to the point where, like, I'm I'm okay with more football. My only question is, does this water down the regular season at all? I don't, I don't know how much it does, but for the people that think this gives you more inclusion for the have-nots versus the haves, all this does is gives the Blue Bloods an extra mulligan or two. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's any number of playoff teams that you would put in that would water down the regular season just because there's so few games that are played. Like, in the NFL, like, you're out of your mind if you make an argument in the NFL that the season is watered down because what I guess now 14 teams make the playoffs like it, it they just play so few games that every game has to matter yeah so and it's the, the same thing, the college thing with football. college football though is like literally every game is a playoff game because one loss right. potentially eliminates you from postseason play right exactly well that's my point though is that you, yeah. if you play so few games even if 20 teams get in like you said if you lose one game that might be the difference of you getting in and getting and not making it but I, I just I think that six is the answer, and six is not going to happen because it's the least sexy uh, expansion because it only adds two teams. It only adds what two games to to the whole slate. But I I like six. You get the five power five conference winners and one at large. And you know what? If you're a group of five team and you want to get in, well, damn, you better go undefeated and get in as the as the one at large team. And, you know, like, I just, I just, like, I think that we should reward the conference winners. Like, there needs to be some, like, reward for winning your conference. And usually it is. You get in the playoffs. But, I mean, how do you, how do you dictate? So, if USC goes 11-1 and Oklahoma goes 11-1 and they both win their conference, I mean, at that point, like, you're just, I mean, how do you really determine which team deserves to get in over the other? Well, it's the same I mean, look, situation we have now. It's just gonna you're gonna break down like how they looked and exactly yeah. So why not just make the five power five conferences automatic burst in the playoffs? What happens if you have like I saw somebody use this uh, example last week um, about the ACC? Like, say you have because the ACC has been Clemson and everybody else, right? Like, say you have yeah. a seven and five Georgia Tech team because that other division is so bad. Like say they just happen to get into the ACC championship game at seven and five and then pull off a crazy upset of Clemson. Do you want that team in? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a tough situation. I think that maybe in the scenario, 
maybe because, like you said, anything can happen on one game. Yeah, but does that team really I mean, deserve to be in? No, I mean, no, yeah, I mean, no, not really. Right. I just don't think. I mean, there really isn't like a perfect answer to resolve this. The and problem is we're asking everybody to play by the same rules, but, but nobody plays by the same rules. Right. Right. Like we want everybody's criteria to be under the same umbrella, but college football has 130 teams and there are divisions in conferences that are good. There are divisions in conferences that are bad. There are conferences that are loaded. There are conferences that stink. And we want to throw this blanket like the NFL does over 32 teams, but over 130 and act like the gap from one to 130 isn't this is the same gap as it is in the NFL from one to 32. And it's just not like the gap from one to 32 in the NFL is minute compared to the gap between the best team in college football and the worst team in college football. I mean, hell I, you could make an argument that the gap between the number one team in college football and the number 20 team in college football is significantly less than the gap from the worst team in the NFL to the best team in the NFL. Right. And that, I mean, that, and that's just, again, there's, unless they change the, like the rules of recruiting, which will never happen. It's never going to change because players can choose the top players can just pick and choose where they want to go. And you can just load up at one school like Alabama has done for, you know, we're going on like 13 or 14 years now. Clemson's doing the same thing. Ohio State's done the same thing forever. Yeah. Like Oklahoma is absolutely a beneficiary of that. Like it's just, it just is what it is. Like unless they're like come out and I don't know how you even do this. Unless the NCAA is like, you know, you can only have a Mac, you can only have one five-star recruit per school or something like that, which is insane. It won't happen. But if it has, to, it's going to take something like that to change the way that college football works and the landscape of where the like the talent between, like we said, the number one team and the the worst team. Yeah, I just I, I think that if you're going to apply some sort of like automatic bid type scenario, then you have to try and make things as equal across the board as you possibly can. And unless you want to somehow figure out a way to do super conferences or, you know, again, like there are, there are leagues that have 10 teams. There are leagues that have 16 teams. There are leagues where you have to play more conference games against better competition and other leagues where you have an extra non-conference game to just get an automatic win over an FCS directional school. Uh, there are leagues that, you know, for, for a while we were having that conversation about conference championship game versus non-conference championship game. Like, it's apples and oranges in a ton of these comparisons as to who is more deserving. It's it, I, I, The logic, though, behind trying to solve anything in college football, I think, is, is all out the window when you're trying to compare whether Boise at 12-1 and one should get in over 10-2 and two Georgia, right? Like, there's no good way to do that. Right. Hey, look, maybe, maybe the best solution at the end of the day for all this is what you just mentioned. Maybe it's a super conferences. Maybe it's four super conferences and you keep the playoffs at four and the four winners from those conferences get in. And you know what? If you want to get crazy and like, this is I, okay. Here's my dream scenario. We go four super conferences four what? 16 team super conferences with relegation. Eat like, 
for those for those group of five teams like a Boise State, you can play yourself in to that super conference. And if you're in the super conference for 10 years, guess what? Your recruiting is going to improve over time and you're eventually going to build your program up and maybe you're going to compete and win that super conference and get in the playoffs and yeah. maybe you can make a run. I think that that's my dream scenario because I think that's really the only solution to this is you have to put those Boise States and those Memphises and the Central Floors, you have to put them in those conferences with the top tier teams and see if they can compete. I mean, yeah. we're seeing it with Iowa State, like a program can turn around, but if Iowa State was in the the Conference USA, they, they wouldn't. There's they wouldn't be where they're at today. They're where they're at because they're competing in the Big Twelve and they could get better recruits because they're in the Big Twelve. Right. Yeah, I've always been a fan of doing whether it's like four 26 team conferences and everybody just plays. So that would be two 13 team divisions. You would play obviously everybody in your, that's 12 games in your division. And then you obviously have your conference championships, which in a sense are semifinals. And then you have your four teams that are left standing, or you could go eight 13 team conferences and just somehow shuffle it in a way where, um, you know, it's not like, again, you don't have the G5 versus the P5 type leagues. You would have to reshuffle the teams in a way where, you know, obviously there are name recognition teams in every conference because the problem is college football has a century of history that's not just going di- to... The biases that have been created over the last hundred years are not going to disappear in a sport that is completely about picking and choosing who right. gets in as opposed to who actually earns it. Right. Get get on Twitter for 20 minutes and like when you the, like you you can't you'll never like you said you'll never eliminate the bias. The bias in college football is right. that's 90% of the sport. Right. And look, the bottom line is if your life was on the line for a football team to win, do you want 10 and 2 Georgia representing you or do you want 12 and 1 Boise representing you? Yeah, give me Georgia. Right. Give me 10 and 2 Georgia all day. Right, because they have better players. They have better athletes. They have a better chance to win. They're a better football team. They're Once they're, again, that doesn't mean yeah. Boise can't win. doesn't mean they're incapable of beating Goliath, you know, one out of every three attempts or something like that. It just means that the other team has better players. They have a better football team. And even though they have one more loss, if we're just considering who the best teams are, that's the best team. Yeah, it. And, that, and that's the thing that sucks too, because I mean I love college football, and I love watching college football, but there's there's always a sense of there there's no like satisfying solution to the problem, right? Like, no matter like as fun as it like it's fun in the moment and in the game, but at the end of the year, like you're gonna get to the playoffs, and there's just not like. It, 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 right now, I mean, it's just pretty predictable at this point. And there's not really, I don't know what solution you can make to make it not predictable. Like 2019, it, it, after LSU beat Alabama in November, was there any doubt in your mind that LSU was going to win the national championship that year? No. Right. They, they were just so far ahead of every other team in the country offensively. That nobody could keep up with them. I mean, we we watched. Oh, they, OU lost sixty three to twenty eight, and OU was uh, arguably. I mean, that's arguable because 
the way it turned out. But the playoff committee determined that they were the fourth best team in the country. And they lost by 45 points. They were dominated, yeah. It, I mean, I just like I don't know what the solution is, and then and then Clemson goes and gets absolutely dominated in the national championship game by LSU. There was no team in the country that was going to compete with LSU. And you can go back to last year. Was there any team in the country last season that was going to compete with Alabama? No. Right. And you knew that, and you right. knew that halfway through the season that there was nobody in the country that could keep up with Alabama. We did. We talked about it on this podcast right. that Alabama was so far ahead of every other team in the country. That we knew what the outcome was. As long as that team stayed healthy, the outcome was set in stone, almost. Yeah, and that's not the way. That's not the way sports is supposed to work, especially football. When you don't play seven game series, yeah, when, when it's all it, yeah, one when game, it's, it's anything can happen in one individual setting for sure. Right. But yeah, that's just the gap between the haves and the have-nots is just so great. That there's there's just not a way to do it unless you restructure the sport that makes sense. But look, the bottom line is, like, think about sports media today, and it's all based on opinions and hot takes, and it's why college football is as popular as, as it is, because literally college football is decided by opinion. Like this is yeah. why this people love it because like we get to the final week of the season. And the country's arguing about whether Oklahoma or Texas A&M or Cincinnati deserves that that spot, right? Like, generally speaking, was this a, was was this the landscape of sports media with the BCS? Like, obviously, there were years like we talked about where OU got in after they lost to Kansas State in the Big Twelve Championship game, and I, there were definitely arguments that year. But like, generally speaking. Like, were there a lot of arguments about the two teams that ended up in the national championship game during the BCS era? Not really. I don't, I don't remember like that I either. Said, like, like I said, like one out of every three or four years, you would have like, you know, there was that year where, was it Oklahoma, LSU maybe, and then and then USC just demolished oh, yeah. somebody in the Rose Bowl. Yep. And so there were three teams that year. You mentioned the Auburn team. Earlier, there was the Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech trio out of the Big 12 that one year where all three, there was a three way tie in the conference, mm-hmm. and Oklahoma got that tiebreaker. I th- was that the year they played Florida, I believe? Yeah. In the national Texas championship. Beat yeah. Texas so, beat Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. But that, I mean, that was, but that was a Big 12 thing. That was, right. The, that, that was a coin flip that determined who went to the Big 12 championship game, and then right. But I, but the argument could have been made that year that Texas, sure. Oklahoma, and Florida were all the three teams that were all kind of on the the top level of college football. So I'm just I'm giving that as an example of that was one of those years where I think there was a conversation that there were more than two teams that were capable of winning a national championship. I'm, I'm trying to remember because the next year. Um, Texas played Alabama in the national championship. Right. I'm trying to remember if there was a third team because it was the year that Texas barely beat Nebraska in the Big 12 title game. But I'm trying to remember if there was a third team that people were arguing over Texas. Hmm. I mean, Texas was 13-0. and Cole McCoy was a Heisman finalist. Like, I don't think there was—I mean, there couldn't have been a legitimate third team that people were arguing— Not that I can remember. —over Texas— Try to pull the rankings up real quick. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. So, uh, let's see. The last final BCS rankings in 2010. I'm on the wrong year. Son of a bitch. Uh, All right, so I've got uh, final BCS standings before the bowl game was Alabama 1, Texas 2, Cincinnati was 3 at 12-0, TCU was 4 at 12-0, and and then Florida was 5 at 12-1. So no. There's no And then Boise was 6 at 13-0. So So no argument. Yeah. So in the BCS that year, you had three of the top six were G5 teams that were all undefeated. That's exactly my point. Is right. the, the obsession with the G5 teams now is a fallout of the BCS because they got love in the BCS. But again... It, but nobody, to, nobody that year was arguing that Cincinnati, or at least I don't remember anybody arguing no that way. Cincinnati There's should no have way. been in over Alabama or Texas. There's no way. And Florida's five, and Alabama just had beaten Florida in the SEC title game. So... There's no argument. So, so TCU's 12-0 that year. I believe that was the – no, that wasn't the year that they beat Wisconsin in the, in the Rose Bowl. But So TCU's 12-0. Is there any, any, any universe in your mind where that TCU team can beat Alabama in the national championship game? Maybe. Maybe on any given Sunday as the, you know, the, 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 the cliche goes. Right. But like realistically – If they play 10 times, Alabama's winning 9 of 10 probably. If not 10 of 10. Right. Exactly. Like the, the argument is never it, it, the argument is always going to be there. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what year it is, as long as there's a na- an actual national championship game, and it's not just you know the old school way where you know you just voted on the best team at the end of the year, and that's just how you determine the national champion. Yeah. But as long as there's a two teams in the championship game, there's not really going to be an argument for uh, m- many teams that they could win. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of at the point with this 12-team thing. Like, are there 12 deserving teams? The answer is absolutely not. Does it bother me if they want to go 12 teams? Not really, because we don't have competitive semifinals now. Um, so all that's going to do is it adds extra football. It It's basically like having a bunch of bowl games that, that have it, a little bit more meaning before we get to the elite teams playing. And those games probably would be competitive. Like a, like a six versus eleven matchup would probably be, be pretty right. competitive because those team those teams are a lot closer than one to five. Yeah, the next round probably won't be as competitive, but that first round you might get some competitive football games. But here's the thing: like we're still going to be having the same arguments that we have right now when it yeah, comes down to what twelve teams are going to get in because it's it's always going to come down to the haves versus the have-nots. If there is a 10 and 2 Oklahoma and we're having the argument about whether they deserve to get in over you know 11 and 1 UNLV or you know I'm just throwing out a random you know school right Miami Ohio goes 12 and 0 one year um is is Miami Ohio at 12 and 0 a better football team than last year like OU lost two games last year I thought OU at the end of the year was one of the best four teams in college football. 100%. 
is an undefeated G5 like Miami, Ohio, are you going to legitimately try and sell that they're the better football team? I mean, I'm not saying that that can't happen. It can happen. There can be potentially a group of five team that's better. But but Cincinnati wasn't better than Oklahoma last year. Like, last period. Year going, last year at the end of the year, outside of Alabama, I think that two-loss Oklahoma team could have competed with anybody in the country. Yeah, I agree with that. So, I mean, it just, in two, if they go to 12 teams, you're still, it's still, you're not going to eliminate the, like the, the, the bias arguments and all that stuff because then it's just, it's just going to turn into, well, hey, you know, I, I'm thinking that, I'm thinking that Texas, which based on what I've seen from Texas in the last decade, they ain't no way they're going to be in the top 12 at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. I think Texas should be six. It's bullcrap that they're eight. Yeah. Now they gotta. Now they gotta play an away game. Like it, it, you're never gonna like solve. Like there's no true resolution in like in the playoff system. Yeah, like unless again, I think unless a G five team goes undefeated, um, it's gonna be really hard to make an argument for a twelve and one G five over like a ten and two power five. I just I because right. most of the power five teams, you know, when you look at the brand on the helmet, if it's a Florida or a Florida State or a Miami or an Alabama or LSU or Georgia or Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State or Oklahoma or Texas, USC, like there are just so many teams that have significant brands that play a part in this. And again, you can't you know for it, this isn't uh, it, bias plays a huge role in college football and you're never going to get rid of it when you're trying to pick which team is better. Right. And I mean, look, in, in the NFL, and that, that's the difference. One of the differences between the NFL and this and a college football playoff, they go to 12 teams is in the NFL. I test doesn't matter because the talent gap in the NFL is so minuscule from team to team. Right. In college football, like the eye test has to matter too. It like it, it's the frustrating thing about college football is the eye test drives me insane because it's such a bias and opinion based argument yeah. that there's no like facts to any of the arguments, but it has to matter because the talent gaps are so drastic from team to team. Like, yes, Iowa State is playing good football and they have a really good team, but just from a talent level, like, I mean, the talent gap between Iowa State and Oklahoma is still drastic. Like, Oklahoma, from a talent perspective, yeah. on, on year to year, is still going to be way more than Iowa State. Iowa State just plays better, so you have to take that into consideration. Right. It's stupid, but it has to be involved in the formula. Like, there's just no other—you can't—because you can't compare what Alabama faces for 12 weeks— to what like North Texas faces for twelve right. weeks, like that, it's just it's not even close to the same thing. Yeah, and that's one of the things about college football that drives me so insane is that a subjective thing is so important in determining who wins the national championship every year. Mm -hmm. It's why people, I I honestly believe that the frustration with all of that is also why people love it though. For sure. I mean, it makes it more entertaining, yeah. and it's completely different than than every other sport. But in every other sport, like when the Bucks win the Super Bowl last year, is there anybody in the world saying, well, you know, if if the Vikings would have made the playoffs, they would have won the Super Bowl? Right. No. 
I, mean, I don't uh, the Vikings. I think yeah. the Vikings actually made the playoffs last year. I don't remember, but it, it's not the point. Are like saying like, oh, if the if the Lions would have made the Super Bowl, they would have they would have won. They could pay, the Bucks couldn't beat the Lions. It, there's yeah. no argument. But in college football, there's always that argument. Like if blank would have gotten in over blank, then Team A would have won. Yeah, they just matched up better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, like I said, I think for me, it just boils down to if you're gonna ask me the question, are there twelve deserving teams? The answer is hell no. But like at the end of the day, if we go to twelve, I, like I, I don't know. It, it it's not gonna bother me too much because I don't know. Like it, nothing really changes. I I don't see how anything is much different. Except we're going to have some higher level football games at the end of the year. I, I think I think that's the thing that that's just what bothers me about it, though. They're going to twelve is that it doesn't change anything, and I know the reason they're doing it is just for money. Yeah, and I just that 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 bothers me because they're not making this decision because it makes the game better. They're making it's the same thing with the NBA expanding the playoffs and doing the playing games. It doesn't make any. It doesn't make the product better. Right. All it, they're going to sell you that for though. money. Yeah. But it they're doesn't. Gonna, yeah. We, right. We know it doesn't. Right. We we get four teams in now, and we we don't get good semifinal games. Yeah. And again, like. Th- People still view college football the way that it used to be. And that's why I talk about, like, you can't erase, like, the history of college football and the history of bias in college football. Like, people still have that, like, old days, pre-BCS mentality of, like, you have to just go undefeated. And then you got to hope that those people that were voting watched your games that year. Right. And that's just, that's not the way college football is. But people still hold on to, like, hey, if you go undefeated, you're a good team. If you lose a game... Well, now you have to get like knocked down the list, right? So, do you think like uh, let's use Colorado for example in the BCS era or the playoff era? Does that Colorado team win the national championship? Probably not. Which Colorado? The nineteen ninety, ninety, yeah, the early nineties team yeah. that won the like they're probably they were really good. Like I, I don't know if that was a Cordell Stewart team or not. The no, Rashawn Salon team. No, it was that, before Salon yeah. and Cordell, right? That was okay. Was it Eric Bieniemy? I think that sounds right. Yeah. Running back, right? Eric yeah. Enemy. Yeah. So they win a national title because of the way the voting worked, and they went undefeated, and they just had the majority of like the the AP voters determine that they were the best team. But if they would have had to go out and play who, whoever that top team was, do they beat them? I don't know. Maybe. But again, it's just that old school voting where, like you said, it's just so much of just like in the bubble biased. Yeah, I don't I, like I remember that Colorado team, but I was too young to like know the difference between but I mean they were in the Big 12, which the Big 12 was really good back then. Well, Big 8, but Or yeah. Big 8, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, beat okay, here's here, their non-conference, they beat uh number 8 Tennessee, number 21 Illinois, number 22 Texas, number 12 Washington. And then in conference, they beat number 22, Oklahoma, number three, Nebraska, and then beat number five, Notre Dame. Oh, sorry. They lost to Illinois in the non-conference. I mean, look, I'm not saying that they weren't yeah. good because I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I wasn't even born yet. But it, it just like if Colorado would have had to play Florida State that year in a semifinal, I, I don't know. It just 
I guess the point is, yeah. there's no there's no solution or any of it because it's all just like hypothetical arguments. At the end of the day, outside of outside of the BCS era, there's it's just too much hypothetical. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You can't. You have to fix the structure of college football before I think you can actually fix the postseason of college football. Right. I mean, I will agree, though. Like, the playoff system is way better than the old school, just like whoever the AP determines is number one <laughs> right. after 12 games yeah. system. Like, that, it's way better than that. I'll but. just, I remember pre BCS era when it was just like, hey, the best two teams might not even face each other because of their conference alliance and, right. you know, what bowls they're going to, which was just completely stupid. Right. Like Colorado and Georgia Tech were one and two in 1990, and uh, I don't believe Col- Colorado played Notre Dame in their bowl game, right? Yes. Notre Dame was nine and two. Yeah. And they weren't going to win a national championship at nine and two, right? So, yeah, it's and, and that thank let's just thank God we're not in that era where the national champion beat a number sixteen team in a, in the Sugar Bowl. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you're, I, I can remember like two teams playing different football games and we're all watching to see which playing team looks better. Champion. Yeah. Yeah. To, to pick which one we want to call the national champion. Like I remember watching Michigan with Charles Woodson play Ryan Leafs, Washington state team in the Rose bowl. Meanwhile, I think Nebraska played maybe Miami that year, both teams playing for a national championship. And then when we have to watch them both and figure out which one played better so we can claim a national championship for one of them, which is, that was stupid goes against, right. It goes against what sports is supposed to be. <laughs> right. Oh, college football. But could this you, is, it, it generates these hour long conversations like this. Could you imagine like last year we got the bucks versus the Packers and the chiefs versus the, uh, Oh, fuck, who did the Chiefs play in the AFC Championship game last year? Bills? Buffalo? Bills, yeah. So you got those two games, and then uh, you just determine the national championship yeah. between those two games. Yeah. Like, they don't play Super Bowl. You just like, well, the Chiefs beat the Bills a little bit more decisively. They're the national champion. They're the Super Bowl champions. Dude, imagine last year if we just stopped after the semifinal games and Alabama beats Notre Dame. And Ohio State behind that Justin Fields performance actually rolls Clemson. rolls Clemson, and then we just have to be like, okay, well, it's over. Ohio State looks pretty good. I think I'm going to vote for Ohio State. Justin Fields yeah, threw six they, touchdown passes against Clemson. Yeah. Are you kidding me? How are they not the national champion? Right. And then they play the and then they play in the national championship game, and Alabama yeah. just destroys them. Yeah. yeah, it's it is better than that, but I I do think that like we're f- so far away from a good system. And like you said, they just need to, they'd have to, you have to fix the structure of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine if there were 130 NBA teams? I mean, I, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Sounds pretty terrible, but I can imagine. Yeah. And then we have to, the NBA wouldn't change though. There'd be 130 teams, and they would still, have, and, and Kyrie, James Harden, and Durant would still be on the same team. Absolutely. There, there would be four good teams in the NBA, right? Out of 130. 
And then we'd have, and then we'd have kind of what we have in college football. Right. And Adam Silver would still be like, all right, we got 130 teams, 125 teams to make the playoffs. Yeah. We have like four super teams in the NBA. We have like four super teams in college football because that's where all the five-star recruits go. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's, it's never, that is not going to change until they fear. I mean, I don't know how you change it. Like Nick Saban retiring, that could drop Alabama out of that four. But guess what? Somebody's just going to replace them. Yeah, it's Ohio State and Oklahoma. Like, right. they both have equal footing as far as tradition and history, and they both have young coaches. And yeah, it's it's cyclical. Like, the, the good teams in college football have been good for half a century. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, they, they all obviously have some, like, downtime, but for the most part, I mean, that's Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama. Like, they're all right. pretty they, relevant they, every single decade. Of the history the, of college football. In the grand scheme of things, Ohio State and Oklahoma, like they have like a, a down, like you said, a downtime of like five years. Yeah. And then they're then they're good for 15 years. Right. Like the the, the downtime never in those top tier blue blood teams like equal is equal to the downtime. Right. Like maybe you're not winning national championships, but you know, you have like 18, 10 win seasons and a 20 year period. Right. Right, you're. I mean, you're out. Of, you're in the conversation. Won, won, yeah, Oklahoma's won one national title in the past twenty years. But you're out of your mind if you're going to argue that they're not one of the most dominant teams in college football. Right. They lost three BCS title games, and they've lost how many playoff games now? Four. A lot. They've lost a they, like postseason wise. Right. Oklahoma could be better the last twenty. Right. Years, but the but point is, they haven't won a national title in twenty years. But they've they've had the chance to play for one in what seven times now in the last 20 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And continually year after year, like they re they rebuild and like there was a stretch where the defense was terrible, but what, but that's not the point. Right. They're year after year competing to be one of the best teams in college football and going into the year, always in that conversation. Yeah. And Clemson, I don't think Clemson's going anywhere. As long as Dabo's in Clemson, Clemson's going to be in that conversation. Ohio State's always going to be there. I think Ohio State's one of those programs where regardless of their coach, they're always in that conversation. I think that, yeah, yeah. Oklahoma's probably in that conversation too. With It doesn't matter who their coach is. It just, I mean, it helps that they've had, you know, back-to-back coaches that have been very good. Right. But. And then you just have that next tier of like, you know, the Florida States that are going to have, you know, upswings and downswings, the Texases, the Michigans, the, um, you know, all, all those schools. Notre Dame's always going to get top recruits. It doesn't always yeah. pan out at Notre Dame, but right. they always have Dame, good players. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, that's never going to change ever because they don't play in a conference. Like they've, they're just, they, they're the prestige is never going to go away at Notre Dame. Like they're never going to have. Right. Because it's about history with college football. Right. Yeah. It's about can't the helmet. erase the biases. She can't do it. And, into like it, there's no hope for teams like Houston to ever do anything because who in Texas like who in the state of Texas is going to be like well I could be a Houston fan or I could be a Texas fan you might root for Houston right but you're probably a Texas fan still well like, and you just, like you Houston wanna... on on one year could get a player like Derek King for example and like make a make a legitimate run right but it's only going to be a one year splash and yeah, it's just like you're never going to have long-term success at a place like that. 
They don't have the resources and they don't have the history to allow yourself to get the resources to have long-term established success like Alabama and Oklahoma. How many students go to school at the University of Tulsa? And then if you ask them on Saturday, OU has an 11 a.m. kick or Tulsa has an 11 a.m. kick, which one are you watching? (laughs) A lot of them are probably going to watch the OU game because they're OU fans because – you want to watch a team win a national championship. You want to watch the best team and be a fan of the best team. And like they go, I mean, sure they're Tulsa fans too, but like 10 years down the road, are they going to still going to be watching Tulsa games religiously every Saturday? Maybe, but more likely than not, they're going to be watching the OU games. Can they watch Tulsa games every week? That's the better question. That's fair. I mean, if they're not in Tulsa, like able to go, I don't even know that you can watch it every week. There you go. The, even and that's the not a slight against Tulsa. That's just the reality of what college right. football is. The broad, the, the the reality of the broadcasting structure is that it's built for those top teams to always be top teams because right. they're, they're be the, those are the teams that the kids when their kids ten years old and he's you know eight years down the road he's gonna be a five star recruit. Well, guess what team he's watching every Saturday at two thirty? Alabama. Right. Guess who he's not watching? Uh, Kentucky because the Kentucky games are significantly harder to find. Yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, good conversation. That was uh, that was fun. Wanted to hash that out because we both love college football. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about this new structure of the playoff. And uh, at the end of the day, I just say go for it. Uh, but don't expect that uh, it's going to change anything, Yeah. in my opinion. I think we're still going to be having the, the exact same conversations just on a, on a bigger scope, right? Right. And that's the thing about college. I mean, it, you can college, throw college basketball in there too. Like it's, it can be so much fun. It, it, it's so frustrating at the same time, just because I like, there's just not an easy solution when, when players can just pick where they go every year. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, last thing before I let you run, uh, what'd you think about UFC Saturday night? It was fun. Um, Watching the uh, the dude get his arm broken in the first fight, <laughs> that was uh, that was something. And then uh, look, man, I get the love for uh, for the Diaz brothers, and it was Nick Diaz that fought, right? Nate, Nate Diaz. I'm yeah. just gonna mix up. I get the love, but like, I, I I also don't get it. Like, we love this dude because he just like does goofy things in his fights, but then just gets his face like bashed in for 25 minutes. Like I, I I don't know I I get it but I don't get it with with the, with Nate Diaz but it was good like I yeah. thought there was uh, some good fights I thought the the main event was pretty boring though I thought it was like if I had to grade it on a scale of one to ten like that main event was like a two yeah because it was just complete dominance by Adesanya right. I mean there were just Vittori just posed zero threat. Now I will say I'm a big Adesanya fan based on his antics. It's which is yeah. completely makes me such a hypocrite because I just said <laughs> I don't get the Nate, the Nate Diaz thing, but like, yeah, Diaz does Diaz gets dominated and does the antics, so I don't get it. But like, Adesanya was dominating that fight and did the antics, so I'm like I get yeah. it. Like I can buy into that. It's the same thing with like McGregor. Right. Like you can root for McGregor when he does crazy stuff in his fights and dominates. It's fun, but like. You know, if McGregor's doing the crazy shit and then getting knocked out by Poirier, it's kind of it makes it a little bit harder to root for McGregor. Yeah. So I get it. it was fun though. Uh, I'm pretty excited. There's a Poirier 
But Gregor, that's in July, right? Yeah, I believe July 10th. I am excited for that one. And then uh, the goofy guy with the uh, with the like the the glad he was at the fights on Saturday. The like the curly blonde hair, like he looks like a stoner. I think he actually had a joint in his mouth. Um, is he a fighter? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. He, he's fighting on that card too, right? I believe so. Um, let's see. I actually had this up a second ago. Uh, that card. Here we go. Poirier McGregor, July tenth. Main event: Poirier McGregor. Oh, Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson is a great co-main event. Tied to Ivasa, Greg Hardy, heavyweights on that main card. And then, yeah, Sean O'Malley, Louis Smolka is the so opener I, on pay-per-view. So, yeah, that's I've, a that's an awesome pay-per-view card. I've never I've never seen the O'Malley guy fight, but I've seen he's popped up on my social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, since Saturday. And I'm like, I gotta see this guy fight. This dude is the he's the goofiest dude I've ever seen in my life. When it like as far as like MMA fighters, like I need to see what's up with him. Greg Hardy, though, on on the main event card, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he's a big draw. Um, For sure. You know, people know who he is more than, like, heavyweights that are better than him because of his NFL career. But this entire, like, the early prelims, there are, let's see, one, two, three, four. There are five fighters on the early prelims that are currently ranked in their weight divisions. Um there are two fighters ranked in their divisions on the prelims, and then obviously the main card that I just mentioned. That card is loaded from top to bottom. So, bunch of good fights, bunch of big names, bunch of emerging talents, and then obviously the biggest name in the sport is Conor McGregor versus uh, Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I and mean, who knows if McGregor gets dominated again? Who knows? It might be his last fight. So, might be one for it the. It won't uh, be his last fight, but like if he gets beat, big fight. We're probably talking about Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz trilogy fight next. Five rounds. Both coming off of a loss. Both are, you know, fan favorites. And yeah, if Conor wins, though, we're probably talking about him getting a title shot. So that's that's the Conor McGregor factor. He's always one win away from being in that conversation because his star is so bright. Too much money. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that'll be a big one. But, uh. Yeah, I'm with you. The uh, Adesanya Marvin Vittori just never had that moment where you're like, oh, this might be close. It was just, it was, there was Izzy Adesanya I'm, from start to finish. There, I'm trying to remember. There was one point where Vittori almost had. He got his back a for a minute. Naked. Yeah. 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 And then, but outside of that, it just, it was just a bunch of just like Vittori, like pushing Adesanya against the cage and then just doing nothing. Like, yeah. And getting his and, leg kicked to pieces. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. No. All right, my friend. Always appreciate it. Uh, have a good week, and uh, we will talk again next Wednesday. All right, man. See you later. That is Aaron Davis on today's episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. Don't forget, you can always contribute to our conversations, whether it's comments or questions. Feel free to hit me up. Twitter, at Colby underscore Daniels. Instagram, Colby.Daniels. Like, uh, follow, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff to the podcast, and uh, always appreciate you guys. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you next time.
The podcast is over.